everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Up next, Out Loud with John O'Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Facebook and Twitter suppresses a news story that's damaging to Joe Biden's campaign. The Senate prepares to vote on Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. And George Floyd and Breonna Taylor cases continue to dominate the headlines. Today, I discuss all of this and much more with Professor Alan Dershowitz, one of the world's most prominent lawyers and legal scholars. This is Out Loud with John O'Caldwell. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. My guest is Alan Dershowitz, the constitutional scholar and longtime professor at Harvard Law School. He has defended numerous famous clients, including Mike Tyson and O.J. Simpson, and a lot of us remember that O.J. Simpson case. And he was a member of President Trump's defense team during his impeachment proceedings earlier this year. Professor Dershowitz is also the author of literally dozens of books, including his latest work, which is just out. It's entitled Cancel Culture, the latest attack on free speech and due process. And of course, here at Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell, we're the sworn enemy of PC culture. So we're in good company with the professor. Professor Dershowitz, thank you for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to speak with you. As I said, just this week, you're releasing a new book entitled Cancel Culture, the latest attack on free speech and due process. Would you tell us more about the book? Well, I grew up as a liberal, loving free speech and due process and constitutional rights. And now I see that many people who call themselves liberal and progressives are opposed to free speech. Free speech for me, but not for thee, trying to stop uh, dissenting views from being heard on college campuses, trying to get social media to censor views they disagree with. When it comes to due process, they presume people guilty if they're charged, if they're accused, particularly of any kind of sexual misconduct or political misconduct. And so it's been so disappointing to me to see people on the left becoming Stalinists, essentially wanting to repress freedom and free speech, using any means to achieve the ends that they want to achieve. Most of those are ends I agree with. I would love to see more equality, more social justice, all of that, more rights for women, more rights for people of color. 
I want to see all those goals achieved, but I want to see them achieved by means consistent with the Constitution, with due process, with free speech, and with liberal values. Can you tell us why cancel culture is so dangerous? I think that as we've been seeing the, these past few years, a lot of people lose everything. Folks have lost everything just by something they may have said 20 years ago. Why is this so dangerous to our society now? Well, before we get to people who have said or done something 20 or 30 years ago, let's talk about people who've done nothing wrong. Let's talk about me. Uh, I was canceled uh, by, for example, the 92nd Street Y, which was a liberal bastion of Jewish thought for 25 years. I spoke there at least once, maybe twice a year. But when I was falsely accused of sexual misconduct by a woman I never met and never heard of, the 92nd Street Y said, we know you're innocent. We know you did nothing wrong, but we don't want trouble. And so we're canceling you. You can't speak here anymore. That reminds me of when I was growing up with McCarthyism. Mm. People were accused of being communists or supporting communism. In my case, I was a college uh, student president of the student government. And I was an anti-communist myself, but I supported the right of communists to teach and to speak. And so I was labeled a fellow traveler and a leftist and a pinko and all of that. So we start with people who have been canceled for doing nothing wrong, nothing wrong at all, and have no opportunity to prove their innocence because they're presumed guilty. If a woman accused you, how could you possibly be innocent? You must be right. guilty. Even if the woman has a long history of lying, a long history of lying for money, a long history of collaborating with extortionists, doesn't matter. She's a woman, you're a man, you're guilty, and you're canceled. Then yeah. we get to people who may have done something wrong. By the standards of their day, it may not have been anything wrong. Let's go back to, really go back in history, George Washington. Let me tell you two things about George Washington. One bad, one good. So George Washington had slaves. Horrible unimaginable that any decent person could own another human being, could enslave a human being. It is just incomprehensible to the modern mind. But the same George Washington went to Newport, Rhode Island, and wrote a letter to the Jewish congregation of Newport saying we are going to be the first country in the history of the world not to discriminate based on religion for bigotry, there will be no sanction in America. And the children of Abraham will be able to sit under the fig tree as long as they're good citizens. The first time in world history, Jews were recognized as equal. So you have a man who enslaved blacks and who emancipated Jews. How do you judge him in history? Do you tear down his statue? Do you teach students about the complexity of human beings? That here you can have one human being who shows incredible sensitivity toward one persecuted group, Jews, white Jews, to be sure, mostly Sephardic Jews in those days, but still white, and total intolerance toward people who have been enslaved against their will. Life's complex. Life's full of nuances. And cancel culture doesn't recognize that. If you've done anything wrong in your life, your statute comes down, your history is erased, you're not allowed to speak, it's the end of everything. Wow, I really agree with that assessment. Now, I'm really intrigued by if you've seen someone or a recent cancellation that you thought the person actually deserved to be canceled. Yeah, I mean, you get cases where people have done just terrible, terrible things. Um, 
you know, I can just think of some of my own clients, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Based on what he was accused of doing, he certainly, even though he's dead and can't defend himself, deserves to be regarded by history as somebody who did, you know, terrible and awful things. But even cancellation makes no sense. What you do is you tell the story. You learn lessons from the story. He who fails to understand the lessons of history is doomed to repeat it. So, you know, it's interesting. There's an old Jewish expression that I was taught by my grandmother. Anytime she mentioned the name Hitler, she would say after a two Yiddish words, Yamach Shemo, means his name shall be erased. Hitler, his name shall be erased. And I remember even as a kid saying, no, no, no. I don't want Hitler's name to be erased. I want the world to understand what Hitler did. I don't want slavery to be erased from our history. I want the, con- I want the, the concept of slavery, of course. But the history of slavery should be known to everybody. The history of oppression of women should be known to everybody. The history of discrimination against gays should be known to everybody. So, so no, nothing should really be canceled. Uh, people should explain. I'll give you an ex- another example. Went to the museum a couple of years ago, and there was an exhibit in honor of Gertrude Stein, the great art collector who may have discovered Picasso and Matisse. And it was a incredibly positive uh, rendition of her life, but it left out the fact that she loved Hitler. She nominated Hitler for the Nobel Peace Prize. She talked about him as one of the great people of the century. She collaborated with the head of the Gestapo. She's Jewish, and she lived a free and open life in France during the occupation when Jewish children were being taken to death camps. And so the people who saw her exhibit didn't know that. And I got the museum to sell a book, which told the whole story, strange collaboration by a woman named Barbara Will, and who and, and to put notes on the exhibit. So we didn't censor, we didn't have less speech, we had more speech. We added to the facts that the people knew about her great art taste, the fact that here's a woman with such artistic sensitivities who thought the world of Adolf Hitler. And wanted to see him get the Nobel Peace Prize. The more you know, the more you understand the complexities of history. So, no, I, I, I take it back. I don't think anybody should be erased. People should have their history changed as we learn new things about them, mm-hmm. but not erased. We have to learn from the past. And Professor, I want to follow up with you on that. But first, we have to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year 
at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Now, as, as a follow-up, you mentioned Epstein, and it seems as though there's a lot of powerful people who fear what have come out of the Epstein situation. And there's been these theories, and people can call them conspiracy theories or wh- whatever you want to say about that, about his death. Do you think that he actually killed himself, or what do you think may have happened there? I think he probably killed himself. He was a hedonist. He lived for his pleasures, and the idea that he would be spending the next 30 years of his life in a prison cell with no access to any of his pleasures was too much for him. So I think he decided to kill himself, but I don't think he could have done it alone. Normally, there are cameras. Normally, there's a cellmate. Suddenly, the cellmate was taken out. The cameras disappeared or were turned off or were broken. My suspicion is just the suspicion, but knowing Epstein, because I was his lawyer for a couple of years, Right. Knowing him, I suspect he may have passed some cash around in the prison and told people, please, it'd be better if the cameras weren't on tonight. That wouldn't surprise me, but it would surprise me if he were murdered. I doubt that. Look, I want the whole truth to come out. I wish there were videotapes of every moment of Epstein's life, every moment of my life, because I didn't do anything wrong, and the videotapes would prove that, as I said from day one when I was falsely accused. I hope there are pictures. I hope there are videotapes because they'll show that the only person I've had sex with since the day I met Jeffrey Epstein is my wife of 34 years. Hmm. That's amazing. Glad to hear that, Professor. Thank you for clearing that up. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think many of my accusers and many of the lawyers who are accusing me could say that. I challenge David Boyce to get on your show and say he's had sex with only one woman in the relevant period of time. I mean, he's well known as somebody who couldn't uh, honestly and credibly make that kind of a statement. I can. Well, I'm looking forward to challenging him on on that. Please. (laughs) Switching gears a little bit. You're no stranger to the devil's advocate position. From the point of view of social justice warrior, isn't it about time that people started paying the price for insensitive racist or hurtful remarks? 
Yes, they should pay a price, and the price should be criticism in the marketplace of ideas, but not shutting them down. Mm-hmm. Um, they should pay a price, and anybody who's done anything wrong should pay a price. Look, and, and where do you stop? Uh, take my hero, Martin Luther King. I was there when he made his fantastic speech um, in Washington. I have a dream. It's one of the most important days of my life. I was there with a federal judge who I was clerking for. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, now we learn that his private life was not perfect. And there are some tape recordings that are likely to come out in 20 years uh, that put some negatives. Should he be erased? Of course not. Statues should be built to him. We should have a day in his honor. And if it's turned out to be proved that he didn't live the perfect private life, that's part of what we want our students to know. You know, the great thing about the Jewish Bible is none of its heroes were perfect. Abraham was very, very imperfect. He argued with God. He broke his father's property. He lied about his sister. Uh, David did terrible things. The Jewish Bible is filled with flawed heroes. Christian Bible, on the other hand, and the Muslim Quran, their heroes are without flaw. Who wouldn't want to have a child that lived the perfect life of Jesus or Muhammad? Uh, They are without flaw. But the Jewish Bible is filled with very important people, but who are not flawless in their private life. And that's why I always love the Jewish Bible. And that's why I always love stories about great heroes and great leaders who were imperfect in their lives, because that's the world we live in. Yeah, and I, I agree with that in terms of just recognizing that people have the ability to kind of say what they wanted to say and hear it out loud with Gianno Caldwell with the sworn enemy of PC culture. So I, I appreciate that take on that. Now, continuing on free speech, we're seeing social media companies increasingly prioritizing censorship over free speech with conservatives often bearing the brunt of that. Most recently, we just saw Facebook and Twitter basically block users from posting or reading a New York Post story on Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Many conservatives think this was a political move, of course. I believe that to be the case as well, because the story was damaging to Joe Biden. How do we hold these social media giants accountable for free expression while still respecting their rights to conduct their own business? It's the greatest and most important free speech question of the 21st century, because social media is the wave not only of the future, but of the present. We have a statute which distinguishes social media platforms, because they're platforms, from publishers. So if the New York Times has an op-ed in which they accuse me of something wrong, which I didn't do, I can sue the New York Times. But if Twitter has tweet after tweet after tweet accusing me of sexual misconduct, even though the evidence has conclusively proved that I never met the woman who accused me, her own emails, her own lawyer has admitted it, all of that. But Twitter can get away with that because they say, we don't censor. We're we're just a platform. Anything goes. So once they start censoring, then they no longer are a platform. They're now a publisher and they have to be accountable because just to put it very personally, If Twitter says we're not going to run the Hunter Biden stuff because it may not be true, and then they run the anti-Alan Dershowitz stuff, the reader says, gee, Twitter must have concluded that the Dershowitz stuff is true. I agree. Because if they concluded it was not true, they wouldn't have run it the way they didn't run the Hunter Biden stuff. So they can't have it both ways. They either have to be a platform or a publisher. If they're a platform, they have to run everything. 
if they're a publisher, they have to be responsible for what they do run and what they don't run. Right now, they're getting the benefit of being a platform and they're taking advantage by being a publisher and deciding what to publish and what to suppress. So with, with Section 230, which provides a shield to social media companies and free them from litigation, do you think that that needs to be revoked or there needs to be a clear interpretation of the law as to what Section 230 really means um, in order to be able to revised. Media? It has to be revised. I think it has to be revised. It has to be revised. And every social media has to check a box. And the box has to say this. Are you a platform or a publisher? And if you're a platform, you cannot censor anything. You're a taxi cab. The first person to wave you down, you have to take them to wherever they want to go. Doesn't matter who they are, what they look like. As long as they have the money to pay you the fare, you have to take them wherever you want to go. You're a taxi cab. That's fine. If you want to be something other than that, if you want to be the New York Times and decide not to publish the Post story about Hunter Biden, but publish the negative stuff about Alan Dershowitz, then you're no longer a platform. You're a publisher. So you have to check the box of publisher. If you're a publisher, you don't get the immunity of Section 230. If you're a platform, you do. But if you're a platform, you have to act like a platform. You can't act like a publisher and then claim the benefit of a platform. That's the way it should be revised. So the New York Post doesn't have any legal recourse that would be condigned at this time to, to provide some litigation towards what the social media companies are doing in terms of blocking their stories. They don't have any recourse. I right think now. they might. I think they might. I think they might. If I were their lawyer, if they called me, I would say, yeah, bring a lawsuit, say they're not acting like a platform, and they are obliged to keep your posts up. And if they don't, they will lose their status as a platform under 230. I think they have some remedies. I think mostly it'll be a legislative remedy. Be interesting to see what happens because the current polls suggest, obviously polls are not infallible, that in the next few months we may have a Democratic president, Democratic Senate, Democratic House, and they'll get to write the laws. And it'd be interesting to see if the left writes laws that are protective of free speech because today the hard left, particularly the squad and people like AOC and others, are not particularly tolerant of free speech, free speech for me, but not for thee. And it's conservatives, because they're being censored by social media, who are much more sensitive to free speech rights. So it'd be interesting to see what, if there is a new Congress, the new Congress, the new president, do about Section 230 and about the social media in general. There has to be a change. Yes, I agree with that. And Republicans, of course, have always been against regulation of everything. But in this instance, I think Republicans have failed in regulating these companies because clearly they've become too big and too powerful. And now they're trying to change the course of an election. So 100 percent there. And I want to switch gears. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge 
indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. As we switch gears here, I want to talk to you about the Supreme Court. So we know we have a a nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, for the Supreme Court, and in your new book, Confirming Justice or Injustice, you lay out a guide to picking um, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement on the Supreme Court. What do you make right. of Judge Amy Coney Barrett's legal record and judicial philosophy? Oh, it's beyond reproach. I mean, she is uh, one of the most highly qualified nominees uh, ever to be put before the Senate. She's brilliant. She's articulate. She has a wonderful private and personal story. Um, everything about her is uh, positive from the point of view of confirmation. Would I have selected her? No. She's too conservative for my taste, but I'm not the president. I didn't win the last election. Uh, president Trump did. My only concern is that Republicans in the Senate are acting hypocritically because they would not allow an equally qualified, maybe even more qualified nominee, Merrick Garland, who was nominated by President Obama back in 2016, to even get a hearing in front of the Senate. They wouldn't proceed because they said, particularly Lindsey Graham, who's now chairman, who's a friend of mine, who I know and like, but he said back then that if President Trump were to get an opening in the Supreme Court within the year of the election, uh, he would not let it come to the floor of the Senate. And he said, you can use my words against me. So, you know, the Democrats are now using his words against them. And he's saying, no, there are two differences. Number one, we control the Senate. We didn't control the Senate back in 2016, or at least it was a different president and different control of the Senate. Uh, Now it's both in the same hands. That strikes me as simply an assertion of power and not a moral argument. And second, he said the way the Democrats uh, handled the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. shows the rules of change. There he has a point. Uh, The way the Democrats particularly uh, Kamala Harris and some of the others, and and Feinstein, uh, treated Brett Kavanaugh was despicable and beneath contempt and a core violation of due process. And I was strongly opposed to it. Again, I wouldn't have picked Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court if if some 
somebody, some Democrat president asked me, but he was highly qualified. And the idea of bringing back things that he was implausibly alleged to have done when he was 15 or 16 years old was the height of kind of McCarthyism and and just despicable. And to even have women who had probably never even met him making some of these allegations through the great Michael Avenatti uh, <laughs> uh, was was beneath contempt. So I understand the change rules, but my preference would be to have a rule that governs all such cases. Maybe my rule would be that the president doesn't get to nominate after the conventions. Say conventions are over in mid-August. From mid-August to early November, if there's a vacancy, that vacancy stays on hold. But that has to apply equally to both sides. Doesn't matter who the president is, what party he's from or she's from, and who's in control of the Senate. So we need a simple, standard, identical rule for all parties. The shoe on the other foot test, as I call it. But in politics, hypocrisy prevails over principle. And to that point, you mentioned Republicans like Lindsey Graham were hypocritical by way of what he said, but also Democrats said yeah. with um, uh, Judge Garland that you should be, the president should have the opportunity to even nominate in his last year. Justice Ginsburg said that she, the president doesn't stop being president for uh, in an election year. So there's been all these things that Democrats have said previously, and now there's a change in tune. So it seems like both no, I, sides. Uh, can definitely, you can point the finger at both sides 100% there. I think that's right. A little bit more at the Republicans, only because the Merrick Garland thing was eight months before the election, and uh, Barrett uh, confirmation is just now two and a half weeks before the election. So it's a matter of degree. But look, there's enough hypocrisy to fill both houses of Congress and the White House with a lot extra. Hypocrisy is the engine that drives politics today. Both sides are guilty of hypocrisy and putting hypocrisy over principle. One hundred percent. I agree with you fully there. Now, let me ask you this question, because as you mentioned, the polls have suggested that Joe Biden is going to win. And my argument yeah. continued to be polls don't vote. People do. So that's right. With that consideration in mind, let's say that Joe Biden happens to win the presidency and he hasn't told us where he stands on court packing. What I know. Do you think I know. will happen if he actually is elected? Will they pack the Here's courts? my view. <laughs> Here's my view. If he's elected, first of all, you'd have to have Democratic control of both houses before you could have court packing. But let's assume, in fact, I have an article that I've just written about it. Let's assume that Democrats control everything but the Supreme Court. Um, then there's going to be enormous pressure on Biden. And probably the Senate and the House will pass a court packing plan. They will probably pass a statute saying the number of justices will go from nine to 11. And we, the Democrats, will get to nominate the next two justices. And that will make the court basically evenly divided with Chief Justice Roberts, again, perhaps being the swing vote if there are 11, if there are 11 justices. So, so a, a bill will come to Joe Biden's desk if he's the president having been passed by the House and the Senate. And the question that I don't think anybody knows the answer to, will Joe Biden have the courage to veto that bill? We know where his heart is. He doesn't support court packing. He's not an advocate. He said himself he's not a fan. But if you get the House and the Senate, and particularly the left wing of the Democratic Party, pushing hard for court packing, 
Will he be able to resist that? And will he allow his own principles to govern and veto the bill? My prediction, yes, he will veto the bill. I don't think we'll see court packing because it would just create an arms race. Democrats get in, they make it 11. Republicans, and then four years from now, they win, they make it 13. Then the Democrats win, then it's 15. You know, it could get to be the size of the Venezuela Supreme Court, which is, you know, in the 30s. So it would really destroy the credibility and integrity and neutrality of the Supreme Court. So I would hope that wiser heads would prevail. And no matter what happens with the current nomination, that we would not resort to what Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to do back in 1937, and that is pack the court. That failed back then. I hope it will fail again now. So I'm going to have to politely push back on your argument that his heart isn't with packing the court. And I say that only because he was an avid supporter of, well, he's changed his position, I should say, now in, in terms of life, in terms of being someone who respects the sanctity of life when it comes to abortion. His philosophy on that has changed as a number of his other positions, which people might have considered him a very moderate candidate uh, some years ago. And I think that was one of the things that President uh, Obama or then candidate Obama liked about Joe Biden. But it seems to be that there's a change, especially with our culture of going as far left as possible, that we don't really know what he may do. And we can't look at you're absolutely right. Necessarily you're yet. absolutely right. I don't think we're not disagreeing. I don't think you can predict what he's going to do. I can tell you what I think is in his heart. I've mm-hmm. known Joe Biden not well, but I've known him probably 30 or so years. I met him first through Ted Kennedy, who I was very close to. Ted Kennedy and I worked together a lot on human rights, on civil rights, on civil liberties, on criminal justice reform. And I met this young senator from Delaware uh, back then, and I always liked him. Uh, I'll never forget a story. Uh, I was in the White House. This is a name-dropping story, of course. I was in the White House, and I was in the Oval Office with President Obama. We were talking about the Iran deal, and my phone rang. And the president looked at me and said, you shouldn't bring a phone when you're speaking to the president. I said, you're absolutely right, but my grandson is supposed to learn today whether he got into Harvard College or not. He's He said, all right, take the call. So I took the call, and sure enough, my grandson got into Harvard, where he graduated from recently. And Joe Biden said, well, let me congratulate him. He took my phone and turned on the record and the video. And he said, hey, Lyle, great work. Uh, You got into Harvard. That's terrific. Now be smart. Go to the University of Delaware. It's a better school. And that's (laughs) Joe Biden. I mean, he can be a really, really nice guy. And he has a human touch. I'm not campaigning or telling you who to vote for. I'm just telling you he's a nice guy. Look, I know Donald Trump, too, and I haven't known him for as long or as well, and he has a lot of very positive qualities. What he's done, what President Trump has done in the Middle East and in foreign policy is something that I don't think any president believed could happen. I know that every president since probably Bush first has tried to bring about normalization between the Sunni Arab countries and Israel, and they failed. And President, President Trump has succeeded, and he succeeded in moving the embassy, which it should have been in the first place moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and then recognizing that Israel has to hold on to the Golan Heights. These are terrific accomplishments, mm-hmm. and the president ought to be praised for them. For me, being a bipartisan, I'm a Democrat. I'm a liberal Democrat, but I'm bipartisan when it comes to issues. For me, being bipartisan means you condemn the president you voted for, as I have President Obama, who I voted for twice. 
for the Iran deal, which was a disaster. Right. And you praise the president you voted against, namely President Trump, for what he's brought about in the Middle East. So I try to be as fair as I possibly can and objective and neutral in assessing policies of presidents who I voted for or against. Now, there was a lot of criticism of the Obama administration's handling of the relations with Israel. We know that yeah. uh, they didn't, President Obama didn't have such a great relationship. Are you not concerned that considering the fact that Joe Biden was in that administration as well, and he's part to blame uh, for not having such a great relationship with Israel, that if he becomes president, that the same can continue? I am concerned about it. I do, ha I do know that Joe Biden's personal views toward Israel are somewhat more positive. He has critical views toward uh, Netanyahu, um, but generally positive views toward Israel. Look, you never know what you're going to get when you vote for a president. You vote not on one issue, at least I don't. I vote on a variety of issues. Israel is one of them. A woman's right to choose, gay marriage, uh, reasonable gun control, affordable health. All of those are other issues. You know, it's interesting because people ask me all the time, how could Jews vote so overwhelmingly for Democrats when the Republicans are better for Israel? Mm -hmm. And they're right. The Republicans are better generally for Israel. But Jews like African-Americans and like Latino Americans don't vote on single issues. They're not all together. They're not, you know, homogeneous. We are very different. And most of my Jewish friends uh, have nothing positive to say about Donald Trump. I have positive things to say about him, some negative things to say about him. The same thing is true about my views of Biden and Obama. And, you know, we live in a world of complexity and nuance, and nobody should expect every Jew or every African-American or every Latino to vote one way or the other in lockstep. That's just not what democracy is about. Thank you for listening. Tune in for part two of our conversation with Professor Alan Dershowitz. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Calabria, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.